The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Nice to have you along for episode 28 of the Boys of Tech for Monday the 3rd of August 2009. I'd like to welcome my co-host, Brett King. Hello. Welcome to August. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the time flies, doesn't it? It does. And what a beautiful day it was today. Oh, look, this is crazy. You know, right through April, May, June, July, it's been absolutely shocking. And come August, right smack bang in the middle of winter down here, yep. it's a beautiful day. Indeed, we've been What's having. What's up with that? It's been spring days in winter. It's bizarre. <laughs> Maybe we'll get summer early then. Maybe. Here's hoping. Fingers Maybe crossed. We'll have it. And hopefully, it'll be a nice extended summer. Oh, that'd be nice. Well, I I did hear a rumor that we're in for a for a good summer. So, yeah. uh, but you know they they say these things and you know it doesn't really mean a lot. Mm. Let's hope it comes to pass this time. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So have we seen the deal of the century or not? I don't know. I mean, it's not a merger deal, but it is a uh, internet search deal between Yahoo and Microsoft. I know, big news. It is a year deal. Yeah, this is this is big. This isn't small potatoes. No, absolutely. So so the the way it's going to work is that uh, Microsoft are going to have their engine drive Yahoo search and Yahoo's search and advertising and billing system will drive the sales side of things. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Does Microsoft have a better search than Yahoo? I guess well, they, they do, don't they? Well, indeed. They've, you know, they only recently, last, what, month or so, came out with Bing, and it's got all of those new whiz-bang features in it. So, yes, they do have the better of the search engines. But Yahoo has definitely got the experience with the advertising revenue generation there. Yeah, Microsoft really don't know what they're doing in that space or haven't done till now. So I guess this, this kind of makes sense then, doesn't it? We've got a, a great search product. Well, it seems good enough at this point in time. It's early days yet, but mm. a seemingly good search product from uh, Microsoft and we've got a good uh, adver- a search advertising network from Yahoo. These are going to be brought together for a 10-year deal. So this, this could be a good thing. They're, they're doing it, of course, because they want to knock Google off number one position, don't they? Indeed, they do. And so instead of fighting amongst each other as well as Google, they're joining forces to gang up on Google, which, you know, sounds like a big deal when you think of it, that two search, two big search engines joining forces to take over Google. But really, even together, Google still has twice the market, (laughs) twice the search market than both Microsoft and Yahoo together. Yeah, so, so they've still got a way to go. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And let's but, just <laughs> let's just hope it doesn't make Bing suddenly turn into the look of Yahoo. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> you remember Yahoo's search front page? It's yeah, all advertising. Yeah, it's the one where you couldn't find the search field, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Google aren't infallible. Obviously, they Google no, is necessarily going to be around forever and a day, but I don't think this is the one thing that's going to knock them off. 
I don't think it's going to be the thing that knocks them off either. And as you said, Google have been around for a while. People have grown up with Google. People don't use the word search when they're talking on the internet. When you're talking about going off to search on the internet for something, what do you say? <laughs> it's to Google, Google it. isn't it? Yeah, that's the verb. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to Google it. So yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, it's, and you know, there are people that actually think Google is the internet because they they go to Google to type in a URL. <laughs> Bizarre. I'm sure you've seen it too. You know, you, or you're talking through people over the phone and they're saying it's not working or I'm not seeing what, what you say I should see. And you find out that they're actually typing this URL in, in, into Google because that's all they know. Google is the internet. Indeed. Google is their front page that somebody with a little bit of internet savvy has set up for them. And now they think that's, their, that's the portal to the, the World Wide Web. <laughs> like in the old days when people used to think AOL was the internet. Yeah, well, in fact, I remember when it was Netscape. You know, people would say, oh, would you see that? Oh, I got it off Netscape. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like Netscape was the internet it's because that was virtually they the only the best browser. They had the best browser back then. Yeah, at the time, yeah. And so that's mm. what people were... Uh, how people refer to the internet. So, oh, times have changed. No, look, I, I think uh, this this probably won't do a lot to Google at the moment. I think it takes more than that. But mm. it could be a step in, in you know, one step of many that the two are, are planning. Who knows? Indeed. And this is, this is a 10-year deal. Yeah. And I think initially it's going to be more beneficial to Yahoo getting, the, getting to leverage Microsoft's Bing search engine than it is for Microsoft getting to leverage the the advertising because I think if they if Microsoft did change what is a quite a nice interface that they have for their Bing search engine if they tried to bring in too much of the advertising stuff that Yahoo does onto their front page like Yahoo used to then I think yeah <laughs> that would just be a bad bad step uh, maybe they've learned maybe well, they've learned uh, the simplicity of the Bing the Bing homepage was definitely, you know, taking leaves from the, the book of Google there. In any event, I think well, one thing's for sure, it's a it's a better search engine than than what Yahoo currently has. And definitely. It's gonna take them over a year to set up this this merger though. There's a lot yeah, of work to do. There is a lot of work to do there. And for any real good stats on Bing's usage and uptake. We're really going to have to wait for a year down the road for that as well. We can't just, you know, you can't pin too many predictions on Bing's future based on statistics that have come from only the first few months of its existence. We've got to give it a good year or so before you can really see how it's going to impact on search culture. They're going in there for the long term. So let's give them a year to sort this thing out because it's going to take them at least that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. Well, anyway, this podcast might have to come to an end, Brett. Oh, indeed. We might be, <laughs> Follow media. Yeah. We, <laughs> sends you a, a, a nastily worded email and whoa, we may have to think of some, oh no, in fact, we won't be able to <laughs> because their patent covers everything. Oh, I know. So let's, uh, let's, let's just get into some details here for our listeners. So uh, Volo Media is claiming that they own the patent for podcasting. Uh, what does the patent actually just podcasting. Say? They're it's, claiming they hold a patent for the delivery of episodic download media. Yeah, which is basically, well, a podcast, in other words, episodic media through an RSS channel is just one of, of several ways you could implement this. But uh, yeah, look, do they really own that patent? Is it enforceable? What, what's the invention? They filed it. They've 
um, whether or not it's been approved, I'm not 100% sure, but it's, it's out there. But it is for the delivery of episodic downloads, episodic service, you know, online, it, everything. <laughs> but the one thing that, that, that people are trying to do now is find prior art because if prior art can be, can be found and, and demonstrated in court, this invalidates yeah, prior art, meaning prior to the you know, time when Volomedia filed for their application, which I think was in, back in 2003. So if we can find uh, prior art, so uh, use of you know, episodic or evidence of episodic uh, media download on the internet before November 2003, which is when they filed, uh, then this invalidates their claim outright. So Definitely. And one of the other more interesting things is I thought you had to patent an invention or, you know, an, app, an application of something. You couldn't just patent... An idea. An idea. Mm. It's, about, a concept. it's a concept, isn't it? Yes, it's a concept. It's not... <laughs> There's nothing new in the stuff. It's not they're patenting the ability to download media. No, there's prior art to that. You can't patent that. Um, they're not patenting delivery through RSS feeds. No. Because they existed. Yeah, because they, they existed prior as well. They're not patenting checking stuff against a feed and only downloading the new stuff. And could you patent that, really? Yeah, that's is, is that just common? Could you put the concept of that, or would you have to patent the specific technology to do that? If you came up with some new technology to do that, not just the concept, but the the others, it's more like they've taken things which already existed, concepts which already existed, and have come up with a way, a concept of using them together, and bada bing, and the patent application is so very broad and wordy and goes off on talking about all these other little bits and pieces like you know clicking a single button to do it on on portable media devices using the the, the downloaded media to be a you know leverage advertising that sort of thing it's bizarre it seems, certainly seems a little crazy to me i i i can i don't know i'm i'm kind of skeptical to be honest if i if this was if this was honored Imagine what that would mean. Indeed. I mean, it would mean that you could not produce any sort of episodic media content and provide it online without going to Volo Media and getting a license or going into partnership with them. Now, they, they, could, they could, though, if they wanted to, they could grant everybody in the world a license. A then what was license. the point of it in the first place? Well, yeah, I know, but they might want. To, well, they might want to retract that later on when they want to take control of it. I don't know, but you say that they they have been granted this. Yes, this, yes. It turns out they have been granted I just, this. I've just checked, and they have indeed been granted this patent. It is very bizarre. Can this and, be overturned? I wonder. Oh, I'm surprised. Well, I shouldn't be. I really shouldn't be surprised that something like something as crazy as this made it through the US patent system. I shouldn't yeah. be surprised at all. But <laughs> it is still quite surprising. I wish I'd painted the hyperlink. Indeed. 
oh my God, you should so have painted at the hyperlink. Nobody could do anything <laughs> online without that. <laughs> You'd have to type everything in. Oh, <laughs> type this to get to this page. <laughs> indeed. Oh, oh, I'm sure somebody's already got a patent for, you know, assigning addresses to physical devices in a network via numbers. Uh, DNS? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would yeah. really screw things up, wouldn't it? No, look, Indeed. Look, well, I guess you just have to think of what is currently being used and then patent it. Well, this is, this is where <laughs> no, it comes down I, to prior art, though, isn't it? And It does. It does come uh, down to prior art. So, so, yeah, so on a serious note, we couldn't ever yeah. patent now the hyperlink because there is it's being used. It, it exists. It's, it's out there. Exactly. So coming back to this Volo Media thing, the only way I can well, there are two ways this could be overturned. I, I guess common sense, if you know the the US Painted Office uh, sees it in, in the best interest uh, of everyone to overturn this, perhaps it's too general, too broad. The other way might be if we can find prior art, and this this whole thing can be proved that it, it's is invalid. Mm. That's the other way. Yeah, it's not a patent on podcasting. It covers podcasting. But it's not it's a more than that, isn't podcast. It? it is more than that. So while the patent was filed in 2003, you know, ages before podcasting, you know, started and took off. So he's got, he's got that covered unless somebody can find prior art of somebody doing something podcasting like before 2003. But because it is a very broad patent, a, a patent on methods for providing episodic media content, that's your patent, basically. We just need to find prior art before 2003 of people providing episodic content online, and that will hopefully be able to invalidate this rather ridiculous patent. You'd think that radio stations, talk stations that, that put their content, their media online would be in that category if they did, yeah, were doing that before you'd, 2003. You'd think so. You'd hope that there was um, the ability to do that because wouldn't this, wouldn't people who did news posts and kept an archive of that news post, which allowed you to go through the archive and look at and get those different news posts, be the same sort of thing? Because technically, isn't media content everything that comes through your browser? Because right now I'm looking at a web page and it's got text on it, and text is a media. Well, then any blog, exactly. that, that covers any Blogs. blog. I, I don't know. So but then it's, it's just for really, download, but really, well, define download. going to have to read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gonna That's what it, try and yeah. wade through this patent application to really see what the nuts and bolts coverage really is. If we keep an eye on anything this year, it's going to have to be this thing because... Uh, this has direct know, impact on Boys of Tech. Absolutely. Absolutely. And every other podcast out there. It's kind of jaw jaw dropping moment. <laughs> Reading podcasting patents. What the <laughs> what the? Yeah, exactly. What the <laughs> Alrighty, Best Buy are a little bit embarrassed. They were selling palm breeze for only ninety nine dollars. Ooh. That's a bargain. Oh that's, that's half price. It is. <laughs> you can't get them for, for anywhere less than that. Now, that was actually down to a little error, so whoops. And it was online. It was one of the online promotions, and uh, it shouldn't have been 99 It should have been 199 But Best Buy are honouring the, the deal for those who have already placed orders at that price, so good on them. Oh, good on them for doing that. Yeah, I think, it yeah. Is, we all make is, mistakes. 
they we all do and it is you know buyer beware and if a shop's at least in New Zealand if a shop sign is incorrectly priced the store does not have to sell you at that price no they can correct. sell you at the actual price just because there's a misprint on the label doesn't mean they have to sell you at that price it is very good at best buy to actually be honoring it yeah but then you don't want to dishonor these sorts of things on the internet. They do have a tendency to blow out of proportion. Oh, yeah. Backfires on you big time. Yeah. Indeed. So I think, I think they're being wise. They know that that's really the only choice they've got. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's these things. Remember the Domino's one we talked about a few episodes ago? They gave away, mm-hmm. what, 10,000 free pizzas that shouldn't have been given away or something like Indeed. that? Indeed. Because someone uploaded the wrong deal to the website. Yep. <laughs> so these things do happen these things do indeed happen it just goes to show you you need to have checks on these things before they hit the publish button they should have checked was that really 199 <laughs> or before it was put into whatever database yeah I was just going to say it'll be into some from. in some yeah. database that, yes you know. it should have been checked <laughs> it should be double checked but man I must have missed out big time because just a week ago I was browsing some uh, some electronics products. I think it was a, a digital wireless audio sender and it was mm-hmm. listed at, for $0.00. I should have paid my money and $5 postage and bought the thing for, for free. You should have because most of those things were automated so they wouldn't have picked it up until it was already being sent oh, to you. Oh, man. <laughs> I bet you it's probably been corrected now. It's been over a week. It probably has. I'm on my loss. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that people generally pick up on pretty quickly. <laughs> but yeah, it goes to show you a lot of these mistakes. They just these things happen. So what's happening with with Apple and Google now? That the two were working so well together, but now Apple has said no to one of Google's apps. Indeed, the voice telephony app, the Google yeah. Voice that we talked about on, you know, one of our really early podcasts. Yeah, they don't want this app on. So what what does the app actually do? It lets you access Google Voice, which was the, you know, Google service, which gave you one number. And that one number could relay to all of your other numbers. And it would take your voice, you you know, people could leave voicemail there. And then the service would convert the voicemail to text and send it to you and all that sort of stuff. So it lets you use your iPhone in such a way that you can get services without having to pay your network provider for those services. Exactly. Yep. So the question is, is the cell phone network, which is AT&T in this case, are they applying the pressure to Apple to to block this app? Yeah, a lot of people have suggested that, that the, um, yeah, AT&T has been putting the thumbscrews on Apple going, oi, why are you letting this thing? (laughs) <laughs> this thing's chewing into our revenue. <laughs> Don't let it be on the iPhone. It'd be in the interest to do that. But on the other hand, is it you know is it is it Apple that's feeling you know Google's now competing a little bit more with Apple in in several spaces. Exactly, even directly with the competing with the the iPhone market well, with the yeah. the Android phones. That's right. It yeah. could be from either end that that sort of squeeze has been coming. But it's very interesting. But they're not going to be able to stop it if Google decides to create a, a web-based service which offers what their, what their iPhone app used oh, to Oh, nice. <laughs> so that's <laughs> going to get around it, is it? Well, indeed, because the only way that Apple would be able to block that on the iPhone is if they blocked that Google website via Safari, the iPhone's yeah, user version of Safari. Yeah, Safari. Yeah. yeah, Safari. But don't underestimate Apple. They, they may well do that. 
Mm, mm, but that would be very bad form. Although, yeah, it would be. That would kind of because the, the, <laughs> two, the two work together quite well. They've got a you know they partner up in, in many ways. Sometimes we don't always know about some of the things. Like for example, all the, there are other Google services on your phone, Google Maps, and so on. They're all mm-hmm. integrated on your iPhone, and you know that that's a result of yeah, Apple and Google yeah. working together. So, and well, a lot of this stuff is because these are smart devices. They're not just a phone. They're not just a PDA. They are a merging of the two. And so by providing the ability to get stuff via the phone's network that the, you know, that the device connects to, as well as via Wi-Fi networks that the device can connect to, you're going to have that, you know, that there's that standoff between those two sides there's the cellular network who doesn't want stuff not coming through them. And then there's people who want to be able to use the Wi-Fi capability to do those stuff cheaply, more cheaply than they would if they went through the cellular network. And by creating a device which allows you to access both ways, you are, you're giving that, that playing field for those two parties to start fighting. There's an easy solution though. The, the, the network providers can just either decrease the call charges or increase the data charges or a bit of both. Mm. That would kind of, you know, yeah, there's a point where, where the two well, will kind it, of equal each other. They can do it that way, but because the iPhone can access any Wi-Fi point without having to go through the, the cellular network to access internet. Oh, yeah, because we're talking about, um, yeah, not wireless across the network, but wireless. Wireless, uh, wireless as to- in... Yeah, it's yeah. A regular Wi-Fi network. Yeah, to a to a local hotspot. So yeah, oh, yeah. while so they could kind of while they could do all different. sorts of leveraging to make sure that the internet traffic that was going through them, you know, they might bump the charge up for. They can't do anything about the internet traffic that goes through a standard no, Wi-Fi that's access. True. Yeah, that's that true. It's connected to, and the iPhone app would have allowed you to use the Google Voice over either. So. I wonder if Apple and Google have actually talked because the the way the stories are coming out, it's as if Google were a little, you know, were caught by surprise by this. So mm. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Oh, indeed. So, <laughs> so what have we got this week? The wheels falling off Apple and Google, but coming together with Yahoo and Microsoft. Gosh, that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a change, isn't it? Okay, I'm yeah. over-dramatizing it really, but... Uh, <laughs> Hey, by the way, what's the, the? Some people have been saying that the the new name for this, just going back to the Yahoo deal, is uh, MicroHoo. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> that's the name that's been Micro-hoo. banded around. Yep. <laughs> Not Yahasoft. Uh, no, or Yah <laughs> Yahasoft. Yahasoft. <laughs> yeah, no, MicroHoo. <laughs> MicroHoo. No, no, neither of those are good names. Really. Neither of them are at all. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. Well, so, uh, speaking of wireless, some studies suggest that the uh, wireless allergy, as, as some call it, d- doesn't exist. So we're talking about here the people, be- you know, there are people that believe that with all these wireless hotspots, the EM radiation from those affects their health. You know, we're talking things like nausea, headaches and so on. Well, a recent study found that it doesn't exist and they came to that conclusion because these people who claim that they're, they, they're affected by these uh, e- by EM radiation from wireless hotspots could not actually identify when and when they weren't in the presence of a wireless hotspot. Mm. And you would expect that if you were being af- affected negatively by uh, a 
you know, a field, a location, a thing, you would be able to tell if it was there. I get hay fever. I can tell when there's pollen about. Absolutely. I look. What I could, I could probably accept that they might cause cancer. Perhaps, you know, it hasn't been proved either. But I, I could accept that. I have trouble underst- I have trouble believing that there's a direct effect that people mm. get headaches and, and so on. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. skeptical, but I'll Especially, keep an open mind. Well, indeed, it's it's hard to argue with a set of studies where the people themselves can't tell. Well, yeah. That's the thing. So, fear not the wireless hotspots. They might fear not, be not as the bad wireless hotspots. Mm. They're not gonna. They're not gonna make you dizzy, give you a headache or nausea, but they may cause cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which would you like? <laughs> well, uh, actually, I mean that that in itself is yet to be proven. But we know, you know, it wouldn't surprise me about the cancer thing simply because you know cell phones, uh, can, you know, do the same thing. They and that there's, I think, uh, more and more studies showing that there is a link between cancer and cell phones. So I actually wouldn't be surprised about the wireless thing mm. in, in that respect. But no, as I say, these are people that believe that, uh, you know, it affects them right then and there, that, that they feel nauseous and they get headaches when yeah. they're in the presence. But if they can't detect them, then it's really equivalent to, to it really not being there at all. Indeed. Indeed. It is you know, equivalent to me saying I have hay fever, but then standing you know, in a haystack and not being affected by it. Mm, or not being able to tell whether you're... you're no, indeed. Field. Standing mm. in a haystack and not being able to tell that I'm standing in a haystack. <laughs> Isn't it called blind? <laughs> that's another one. <laughs> no. Okay, look, uh, that's that's our international stories for the week then. A couple of big ones in there. We'll wrap this uh, segment up. When we come back after the break, we'll look at the New Zealand stories for this week. Okay, welcome back. The small Taranaki town of Stratford is considering launching free wireless internet. That's an initiative from the Stratford District Council. So the idea is not really free. What they're going to do, or what they're planning to do, is recover the costs through, uh, th- through, through the rates. So what do you think, Brett? Is, is that a good idea? I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's an absolutely marvellous idea. Go Stratford. Who would have thought that would come out of Stratford? <laughs> yeah. oh, thought well, the best uh, things to come out of Stratford were us. <laughs> That's right. We lived there, didn't we? For, <laughs> for a number of years. Not when there was free internet. In fact, I don't think there was internet at all back then. No. You used to, in fact, the only internet we had was when you had a 2400 board modem, which we used to dial into Wellington. It was a toll call at the time. Mm-hmm. Into a, into a, a text-based VT100 terminal. Indeed. I remember those days. <laughs> Goodness me! But look, no. So you think this is a good idea? But what about the people who, who don't want it? Because uh, remember, they say it's free, but it's we know it's not free. It comes out of the rates. It does. It does go into the rates, and I guess for people who don't use it, there. It's an interesting one. Because you look, could we, decide not to charge the people who don't use it, but you'd have to make sure that they didn't actually use it. Yeah, that's good. Well, because ha- mm. I, I guess it wouldn't be authenticated. 
Well, we don't mm-hmm. know, but we can assume not because. Well, I is- guess actually, what are you talking about? This is technology, and this is this is the, the the era of of everything connected and the internet. Obviously, all you do is you make people to connect to the wireless network. You, whenever you connect, it brings you like they do in internet cafes. You open up your web browser, and it takes you to one page and one page only, and that is a page where you have to put in your details. Yeah, but they're and not going to want to do one that. One of those details is your rate payer details. And so that way it can lock that MAC address of that machine on that network to being that house. And so it can go, that house is using the wireless. And if you could do that for all of them, you would know all of the houses which aren't using the wireless as long as it was properly secured. Yeah, but so I, would they really go... Put yeah. the rates, you could increase the rates of the people who do use it and not increase the rates of the people who don't. Yeah, but would they really do that? Because isn't it going to be a pain? You just want to get on the thing. Well, yeah, but that's Cause at far home, simpler than quite a lot of the ways <laughs> of connecting up your broadband at the moment. Look, just coming back to this thing about whether, you know, the people who aren't going to use it, if, you know, one of the arguments for doing it is that, well, you know, internet is an essential service these days. But, it is. But I would argue that there's an, a service that is yet still more essential that isn't provided free by, in fact, as far as I know, any council in New Zealand, probably none in the world, and that's the telephone. Ah, true. So here's, here's my argument. If you're going to do it for internet, now, I don't, don't get me wrong, I don't want to be a killjoy on this. I, th- I think this can have some benefits, but it just seems a little, uh, uh, I don't know, it's like they haven't quite thought it through. Why aren't they providing free free home phones to to people well theoretically with voice over ip if they provided free wireless then stratford wouldn't need telephones anymore. <laughs> you should go into sales <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> uh, look i i can't argue with that but uh, I, I still i don't know there's there's still something that to, to me that says because you know this is only going to be available in urban stratford it's not going to yep. be available in rate paying areas that are rural that, that well, still fall under there. So they're paying for that really well, subsidising. No, if they get a lot of Pringles cans, maybe they can extend those wireless ranges. <laughs> yeah, maybe you are quite right. The technology does have limitation over where it can be. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting. Look, I tell you what, I I did a little case study on on some of the services that, well, and one of the services that uh, local government organizations provide and that was the library the angle i took with this is well why not provide free internet for your rate paying citizens after all we provide libraries for them they're free Mm -hmm. of charge we provide swimming pools they're either free or heavily subsidized uh we provide parks and sports gyms and arenas and so on all free Mm -hmm. uh and so then I thought, well, they probably don't take anywhere near as much, cost anywhere near as much money to upkeep. Well, I look I, where I went from there is, well, why are they offering those things for free? And I took the example of the library, and I think I know now why they do it for free because it is not a viable business. I used some numbers that I could find, which were for Wangarei Library, and that's probably an average library in New Zealand, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of average size, I guess. I haven't been there, but just knowing the size of Wangarei, it's probably reasonably average. For New Zealand, mm-hmm. and I got figures for how what the operating costs are for that library, how many visitors it gets, and how many books are borrowed. And you'd have to charge something like if you just charged for borrowed books, you'd be charging three dollars seventy a book. 
it isn't going to work. You wouldn't get that level of the same level of pa- patronage. And so even if you split the costs across uh, visitors through the door, so you put a door charge in your library, mm-hmm. and, and you know some of the charge at the door, some of it when you borrow books, it's still something like two fifty for a book and uh, two dollars at the door or something. It just would not work. No. And then I then I thought, well, how does this apply to this internet example? And I came to the conclusion that well. Internet is really affordable and is a viable business. We're not we, we people are happy to pay, you know, forty dollars a month for their internet. And so I mm-hmm. came to the conclusion that they don't need to be providing this. They shouldn't <laughs> provide it. But just because it is a viable business doesn't mean that it should be. Or needs to be. If something I, I could I do, be I provided feel... to the citizenry citizenry for free but could also be instead privatized and made as a business that is offered to the citizenry for a reasonable price that is far in excess of free, what's better for the citizenry? I still feel for the people who don't use it because, you know... I'm sure there's a better way of doing it than to just blanket coverage it in the rates. Well, I suspect that's what they're going to do. Because then you've still... How else? Once again, they're doing a feasibility study and you'll always have people who use, you know, 90, 10 people who do 90% of the traffic and yeah, well, actually, that's 90% the other problem. of people who use 10% of the traffic. So they're going to have to think of some way of doing, of factoring those sorts of things in. Well, actually, that's a whole new issue actually as well. And someone, yeah. other people have raised that one as well. What are you going to do with the leeches? Mm. Does this thing all crawl down to dial-up speed? Indeed, well, unless, it might be self- each, <laughs> unless each one is, you know, there's some sort of rate limit on the, yeah. the, the, the speed of those or this mm. uh, throttling if you start to pull down too much stuff in one go. So there are things there's they can do. There's nothing that can't be overcome with, you know, appropriate utilization of current technologies. I'm in two minds. I don't know. I'm, you're, you're obviously keen on this. You, uh, would, you, would you move back to Stratford? For this? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's not the sorts of jobs in this industry there. No, that's true. Well, look, you could get Which a job. Which is one set, of the set, reasons I thought it was so bizarre for Stratford to be thinking about Yeah, but it. if you think about Stratford it. Stratford is a farming town. Yeah, but if you think about it, those are the best places for this simply because there is a lack of competition in those areas. Those mm. are the places that struggle to get good quality internet. And remember, they're not on the plan. What we didn't mention is that they're not on the upgrade plan from telecom for, for ADSL2. No, they're not. So True. that's that's kind of they're, I think part of the drivers stuck with around the old it. systems there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So to it, it, bring good broadband internet access to more of those re- you know rural areas, perhaps that should be something that is handled more by local government and less by private. Because, as you said, feasibility wise, you know, privatized companies offering internet might work in larger areas. But you've just said yourself. Places like Stratford and rural New Zealand, they're shot in the foot. They've got, you know, one, maybe one and a half options for broadband internet. And even then, it's going to be nowhere near as good as what you could get in a more urban area. So perhaps they do need a hand. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the drivers. That those, those are the sorts of places where you would implement this, you know. You wouldn't do it in the city, in the big cities simply because there are, there's a lot more competition out there at the moment and there are other alternatives as well, you know, paid for, you know, wireless providers and, mm-hmm. and all sorts. 
uh, it hasn't been confirmed though, has it? They haven't voted for it, I think. They're going to do a feasibility study Yeah, yeah, first, they've approved then, a feasibility yeah. study. Whether or not they do go that way and go, yes, free broadband, well, you know, free as in it's in your rates, or whether or not they go, nah, it's not going to be, it's not going to be workable, or too many people don't want it, or, you know, but I would say that a majority of people would have computers there. Well, the, well, the study shows fifty percent. I don't know if you call that 50%. a lot or not. Yeah, fifty percent. Yeah, that's of, not as many as I was expecting. No, it's it's not a great deal. I mean, it is half, but it's kind of not as. Yeah, it's it's not a majority. No, no. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough call that one. It'll be it, yeah. It, look, we'll I guess it makes sense to do. See a, what they do. Well, that's the thing. That's why they do a feasibility study to to, to get answers as to whether it's going to work. Yep. So at the moment, we're kind of analysing this thing without really knowing. As you said, the feasibility analysis may well come back and say, well, you know, no, it's it's just not a goer. So yeah, it's going to be too know. expensive. Uh, people don't want it, and yeah. <laughs> the cat. Oh, hang on. Say that again. How's this for nasty? Microsoft New Zealand have got an R18 restriction on spending your Xbox points. But the, the catch is that if you're under 18, you can still purchase those points to start with. And so we've got all these under 18-year-olds that have been you know, adding credit to their, to their accounts, but not able to actually redeem them for anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit nasty, isn't it? That's really nasty. <laughs> it's, it's a good revenue-generating system for Microsoft. Oh, indeed! It'll help yes, them. Yes, you can. You can Yahoo. purchase the you can purchase the Microsoft Xbox points, but you can't spend them. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, that's just ridiculous. So if someone hasn't really ridiculous. thought this through. It's this was featured on the TV show Fair Go actually, and uh, look, Microsoft are going to uh, offer some workarounds. They're going to, in fact, one of the workarounds they suggested was, oh, just sign up as an account under your parents' name, and you'll be able to to spend those. It's kind of like, well, hmm, all right, well, what's the point of this R18 thing in the first place? Yeah, if we're just going to say we're suddenly over 18, what is the purpose of it? I really think what they've done is. They've stuck it at the wrong end. It shouldn't be an R18 access restriction on spending the points that you purchase. It should be an R18 access restriction on purchasing the points because that way the parents can purchase the points for the child and the child can then spend the points that the parent has purchased for them. Well, I think they were, they were the worried. child can't spend... The child can't purchase the points for them to spend. Yeah, well, the, so the reason it's a they, much better way for it to be done. <laughs> yeah, it is. But the reason that they they did it this way is simply because they didn't want under 18s to get hold of content that wasn't suitable for under 18s, and they haven't. It doesn't seem that they've got a a way of identifying that this product is suitable for 18 and and under, and this one isn't. <laughs> so they oh, put this blanket. <laughs> they can they can identify. Which of their users is under eighteen yep. or not? But not what product. But they can't. They they haven't worked out a way to take the ESRB notice, which is on almost well on every game sold in New Zealand or able to be purchased here, and they can't have that ESRB number assigned to the digital content. Well, it seems that seems the way because they they've said the reason they've done this is, is so that they. You know, don't get into trouble by allowing under 18s to get hold database. of that content. Yeah, this, <laughs> <laughs> this is just a complete mess, really. 
That's ridiculous. I know. Who, who designed who this? Who designed the thing behind there, which stores the information know. about the game? I don't know. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. That and yes, it, and, and who can't upgrade it? But, how difficult that? How well, difficult yeah. is that? Look, I, I think they look. To be fair, I think they they're acting on this now. They've it's been brought to to the attention of of the public, and they are they realise they've got a number of unhappy under eighteen year olds. So they are responding to this. It wouldn't surprise me if they put a fix release a fix for this very soon. This is limited to just Microsoft New Zealand users, uh, you know, Xbox users in New Zealand. So uh, it's not a worldwide thing, but still, actually, what was really funny was Fair Go's recommendations. They they come to this recommendations section. They say, so what can you do? And the first item there was buy a PlayStation. <laughs> right, genius. Indeed. A little on the nose. A little on the nose, but yes. Well, yeah, that, that, would that kind is of definitely a, a workaround absolutely. for this incredibly bad Microsoft New Zealand mistake. Well, you, you'd probably go along with that one because you're a you're a PlayStation person, aren't you? Indeed, I do have a PlayStation. I, in fact, have two Playstations. Two of them. Well, I have the a two and a three. PS3 and a PS2. PS2. <laughs> I've got a PS1. Never got rid of my PS2 because they, well, the PS3s that came to New Zealand weren't backwards compatible, so had to keep my old one. Oh, really? Well, that's interesting. I've got a PS1, but it's probably not worth a lot now. <laughs> Maybe it's a, a museum piece or something. I don't know. It depends if you got one of the slim ones or one of the really old ones, which uh, wasn't even called a PS1. It was just called a PS. Well, how do I know? It was grey and it was about, I don't know, six, seven centimetres high. Was it thick? Well, what was do you it mean? Chunky, or was it thin, and was it little and? I wouldn't call it snazzy looking, or was it big and clunky, like a big grey brick? Yeah, a big grey brick. brick. Yeah. One okay. Of those. Then you've got an old one. <laughs> really? It's not a PS one. That's a PS. Just a PS. Yep. Oh, okay. Is it worth no. anything? Don't know. I have to look online. Probably not. <laughs> I don't even know if it works. Well, it should work. It's just been in a box doing nothing. It'll almost certainly work. Well, anyway, before we go too far off track, that's pretty much the show. Ah. We can go off track after the show. Oh, indeed. <laughs> it's my fault. I brought up the PlayStation thing. So, look, uh, <laughs> Brett, thank you for co-hosting this with me once again. It's been a great week. It has. It has been a good week. And it's been a great show. Always is. Absolutely. Right. Thank you very much for joining us, everyone, for episode 28 of The Boys of Tech. We'll see you all again, same time, same place, next week for episode 29. Bye-bye. See you later.